So welcome back once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. We are back as promised with our weekly review show now. We promise to do our best to stay on top of this so you're not having to listen to us drone on for two and three hours at a time. What we will be doing though is going over the best of the 17th of March releases and uh, going through a little bit of news, a little bit of previews as well for what's coming out this week as well. So your host as always, Alan, owner and operator in Coffee and Heroes. So we're back to being a trilogy this week, uh, just like Man of Steel, BVS and the Snyder Cut, we are a trilogy. So I'm delighted to be joined by Keith. How are you, sir? I'm good. And I would have chosen the Lord of the Rings trilogy right there, Alan. Yeah, Lord of the Rings is part of a six movie, so uh, it doesn't count. And how about you, Paddy? How are you, sir? I am good. It's very good to be back. I, I like how it took approximately one minute and 24 seconds before you mentioned the Snyder Cut. And you're not going to hear much else from me because it's really annoying, Paddy, that I won't give my full review on it. But there is a YouTube video coming soon. There might even be a podcast coming soon as well. But I'm on my second watch through today, so uh, making notes and going through it all. But the one thing I will say is that I am happy this movie exists, and that is as much as you're going to get out of me in this podcast, I promise. So, uh, but yeah, but on the other side of the things, so that's the DC side of things. The uh, we got our next Marvel show. Obviously, One Division finished off, was very critically acclaimed, very well received, and we moved on to the next show, which for me, after one episode, is better than all of One Division. Falcon Winter Soldier hit this week. What do you guys think of it? What about you, Keith? You're a long time Marvel man. You must have loved this. Really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. That uh, Jesus, that introductory scene uh, with Sam uh, in full flight, shall we say, uh, on mission, uh, was just fantastic. I love the inclusion of uh, George Saint Pierre as uh, Batrock the Leaper, last seen in Winter Soldier, uh, the man who was very happy to take Cap on and hand to hand on that ship in the introductory scenes of of, of Winter Soldier. Uh, so I was really glad to, to see to see Batrock back um, as a classic Captain America villain. Um, I thought it was ballsy that they haven't paired. You know, the, the show's called Falcon Winter Soldier. They haven't paired them up yet uh, by the end of the first episode. Uh, and I loved the introduction of John Walker as U.S. Agent. Uh, that was pretty pretty cool. There's a lot going on. Um, obviously, Sam has decided not to accept Steve's offer uh, that he made to him at the end of of Endgame, which was a wee bit... I mean, there's a lot of... I think there's a lot of imposter syndrome going on there, maybe with both Sam and and Bucky. Uh, but I, I just... I don't know. I, uh, I gritted my teeth whenever the... the, 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 the as-yet-unnamed government official... Uh, there's been a wee bit of uh, back and forth on, on, our, uh, on our chat uh, about whether that may or may not be Henry Peter Gyrick for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, Long-time uh, foil for the Avengers. But uh, whenever he pull, he introduced uh, U.S. Agent or the new Captain America with the shield that Falcon had handed back to be displayed in the Smithsonian. I was going, "You absolute git!" <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I really, I really enjoyed the change of plate pace from one division. Um, you know, a different, different side of the Marvel universe, different set of characters. Loved the inclusion of uh, of Rhodey. Uh, whether or not we'll we'll see him putting on the putting on the suit uh, at some point during this or whether or not there's there's going to be he's going to be further included or whether we're going to see further uh guest starring flag smashers uh they're introducing as a group here as opposed to a captain america villain as as is in the the source material but sounds good nonetheless um yeah i uh, as you may be able to tell i really enjoyed it Barry, uh, what about you yeah are you are you just as glowing then uh no 
I, I thought it was all right. I thought it was a very good, uh, you know, setup episode. That that opening scene was was like watching a movie. You know, it, it absolutely blew me away. First time I watched it, I had my niece down, so she likes to she wants to stay every Friday now, so we can kind of watch it together. Which uh, I like peace and quiet when I'm when I'm watching something, but no, so. I'll watch it with her on a Friday, paying half attention. And I looked up and went, oh, there's roads. And then she's like, yeah, if you were paying attention, you would have noticed that. So I had to, <laughs> had to put my phone down at that point. But no, I, I think it's... Why, why was, was your phone out. in your hand in the first place? Uh, I was just commenting on some comic book groups on Facebook to see if anybody could source me an issue of Canto 1 that I pre-ordered and never arrived. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but you know, I, I think it sets up very well. I think you know you can kind of tell where the story's going to go. Six episodes this time instead of one division was nine, wasn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, uh, I'm op- optimistic for it. Just quite happy to see Wyatt Russell playing Captain America at the end. Their son of Kurt and Goldie Hawn. Ah, did not know that. Yeah, I seen a, somebody put up a picture saying that he looked a lot like the old man out of Up. If he had a war, the the Captain America suit, I'll have the him each and send it in. But no, I am. I'm, I'm looking forward to see where the story goes. Yeah, I very much enjoyed it. It continued the same tone on from obviously Winter Soldier, from Civil War, and so forth. There were two things that really stuck out to me. One thing which bugged me a little bit, and one thing which I thought was really good commentary on modern America. The thing that bugged me a little bit, right, is that people complain. This is going to be a total tribal DC Marvel thing. That there's too much violence in DC movies and too much killing. How many people did Sam kill in that opening sequence? But because it's contained within the four-color explosion, nothing's made of it. But it's just like, oh, it's fine, they're bad guys. But like, th- there's some real-world stuff going on there, you know. But, well, but um, they're, 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 I mean, is the is the general worry? And I mean, I don't. I think you're probably referring to to the 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 DC movies before DC sort of reimagined as Aquaman and Shazam and no no just Wonder all, all DC movies in general not even just like Snyder movies like even going back to you know the Burton movies and you know the Nolan movies and stuff like that it's just I don't know there, there's just there's a certain way Marvel frames it and don't get me wrong they're amazing at doing it where you don't really think of the consequences because it's sort of it's kind of like their comics you know you always refer to them Keith as four color you know, like when you get your, your pull list, for example, your four color care packages, stuff like that. So, but it just, for an opening scene showing him being really heroic, I just thought it was a really casual amount of violence the whole way through it. It wasn't like, you know, pushing people out of a plane who had a parachute and would survive. It was literally blowing them up at every opportunity. But there was that. But no, the, the bit of commentary I actually really enjoyed. Um, and I don't think it really battered you over the head with it, but. I definitely got the feeling that those top-level senators were essentially like modern America in their casual racism, like that they thought Sam wasn't good enough for the mm. shield. Yeah, and yeah. when and like when this when this black man is handing it back to him, they're like, "You've made the right choice." And then they yes, could not yes. get it to a white man quick enough. Quick enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. It did also inspire a really good meme I saw, which was it showed you Captain America in this meme. And then U.S. agent, and it was like, "What happens when you see the picture on Wish.com? What actually arrives?" <laughs> Which I thought was really good as well. But yeah, hopes are high yeah, no, for it. I thought it was great. And I mean, some of the some of the, the insights into Sam's past, some of the the uh, the knock-on effects of him having been blipped away for five years, which is probably mirrored by a lot of people. You know, we saw that 
we saw the effects of that in WandaVision, you know, with Monica's mother dying of cancer during the time that she was blipped away, you know, and now we're seeing what's happened to Sam's family while he's been away. Uh, and we're getting a wee insight into how maybe they... I mean, we've got no indication as to whether or not the Avengers are still together uh, post, post-Endgame. post We've got no, no idea of that uh, at all. We've got no idea if Steve is still alive. Uh, they seem to be making the, the implying that he's not. Yeah, can you mention the conspiracy theories, didn't it? And will it one of them being he's on the moon tape? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is funny because that's where Bucky ended up at one stage in the comics is the man on the wall uh, at the at the uh, the Watcher Moon base. <laughs> which is it made me think of X Men more than anything, mm-hmm. like Hickman's yeah. X Men with uh, Cyclops and the Summers family and so forth being yeah, on the moon. The summer House, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. There was one fantastic bit of dialogue in this when Bucky was on his date and the the girl made comments saying that when a man loses his wife, yes, he becomes a, a widower. When uh, children lose their parents, they become orphans. It? Orphans. But when a man, when a parent loses their child, there's no word for it. And I just kind of went, you know that what? That was yeah, quite poignant, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah and at, at the start, I thought the the guy that that. That Bucky was was drinking with was an old war buddy, because obviously he'd be a, a similar sort of an age. But as it turns out, he's the father of a, yeah. a former Winter Soldier victim. Uh, yeah, it was great stuff. I'm really uh, delving into Bucky's post traumatic stress disorder and 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 all of that. So how you get back into the world the same way as Cap got back into the world. You know, he's 106 years old. You know, he's <laughs> uh, yeah, it's good stuff. I'm really looking forward to episode two. I have to say. Yeah, it absolutely flew by as well. As soon as the credits started rolling, I just turned to Vicky and went, that wasn't 40 minutes, and yeah, unfortunately it was. But yeah, really looking forward to it, and uh, I'll definitely be more on the ball with it than I was with WandaVision. Obviously, I, I took a few weeks to, to catch up, but yeah, so there was that. I know you want to throw out some love, Paddy, for some BBC-produced TV show. I don't know. You you are Yes, uh, Lane of Duty made its, its well, say, grand return, returned with a whimper. I would say on Sunday night, Line of Duty, for anybody who doesn't know, is a BBC cop show filmed here in Belfast, uh, starring our very own Adrian Dunbar. Uh, anti-corruption, they investigate uh, police crimes, police covering up uh, you know, their crimes. Back on Sunday night, 9.8 million people watched it live on BBC One, which for, for any show broadcast you know for people to tune in at a certain time when there's so many options now you've got iPlayer you can record it and watch whenever you want it's it's phenomenal but yeah that was back it could have been a lot better I think you know it's maybe one of them ones it suffered for me a wee bit of the Falcon and Winter Soldier where I I had it built up so much in my head and then you're watching it and you're like oh okay Uh, but no Lena Judy's one of them shows where it just steadily gets better you know each episode of the series I believe you guys haven't watched it. I cannot recommend it enough. Maybe John. And you can get it. You can get it on Netflix as well, so you don't need to to go on the BBC iPlayer. Yeah, I still need to jump on the Netflix and finish off Punisher and Jessica Jones. So I'll add it to the list. But the problem with these days is the amount of content released. It's an ever-growing list. Is the yeah. problem, especially when you say you should watch this. It's six seasons long, and you just think, oh, hold on a sec. <laughs> um, in other news, there's obviously we always like to let you guys know of bits and pieces that are coming up we're really excited about. So there's a couple of big releases this week as well. It's uh, the release of Kong vs. Godzilla on Thursday. I've seen the reviews have started trickling out. 
they're probably the most predictable reviews in the world from what I've read in that it's a massive spectacle, the monster stuff's amazing, the humans are a waste of time. Uh, I don't know if they just cut and paste, you know, King of the Monsters and Godzilla and Kong Skull Island because it also it seems to be the same thing every time and it's ultimately it's called Godzilla versus Kong. I'm not there to see humans. I'm there to see giant monsters beat each other up. So is it is it hidden? Is it in skies? Yeah, I was wondering how it'll be released. Yeah, I think it'll be you know where you can go on the YouTube and I think it's it's going to be premium price. So I think it's nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, the, again another one that got spoiled uh, by the release of a Funko, uh, a certain Funko that was released. That it's yeah, you know, why why announce it? Why not just wait two weeks till the film's out and then sell your your figurines and. Well, you see, there's there's another reason why Keith and I just don't care about Funko Pops at all. Keep the spoilers to a minimum. Uh, one thing that uh, probably has been completely spoiled for Keith at this point, because he's read it all, and you have read it all, is Invincible hits this Friday as well. I'm doing my best to catch up. I'm now issue 41, so I've nearly finished the first compendium. So next time I see you, Keith, I'll happily take compendium two, please. I will have it prepared for you, sir. Excellent, excellent. So, uh, yeah, I'm really curious about Invincible, and I'm curious from your guys' point of view, and mine to a degree, because you guys have read Invincible, and you would have read the start of it quite a while ago, I'm guessing, whereas I've just read it. So I wonder if it's a really faithful adaptation. Am I going to be a little bored because I've just read it, if you know what I mean? Like, I love what Kirkman did with The Walking Dead in the early days of the TV show. It was a case of... Here's the characters you recognize, but I'm going to slightly deviate. I'm kind of curious if he's going to do that with Invincible or if it's going to yeah, follow it yeah. really straight. I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen any statements from Kirkman to that effect. But, I mean, even if it is just a new way of, of watching that story, I'm really excited. You know, it's... Uh... I have a, a sneaking suspicion they're going to change quite a bit. I have a theory that the big twist that happens at issue 12, I think, I think we're going to see it happen very, very early in the series. I think the fact they're releasing three episodes in week one, I think we could see that twist in episode three. Interesting. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's a, if, if, is it going to be a show that suits a weekly release? I don't think it is. I would almost like it I, I would argue it's exactly the kind of show that would suit a weekly release simply because, and I said this to Keith last time I was chatting to him about when I'm reading through it, it took a while to get going for me, but once it gets going, it has that classic Kirkman last page. Oh, for goodness sake, right, I'm going to have to read another issue. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. the fact that it always ends on a cliffhanger, that's kind of the point of weekly TV. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Whereas with binging, it's literally, it just feels sometimes like, I know, a six-hour movie that's, you know, just divided by credits, I suppose. So, what if we have 20-minute episodes, are there? Do we know how long the episodes are? I don't actually are? know. I genuinely don't. I'd say, if I had to guess, you know, most animated shows, I would say a majority of animated shows are always 30 minutes or less. I can't really think mm-hmm. of any animated shows that would be, you know, hour-long episodes, that kind of thing. So, But uh, either way, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. The voice cast is superb for it, so that alone will, will make it worth watching. And then... You know, hot off the press, just before we came on air and started recording, there was the most obvious announcement in the world that you could have guessed about <laughs> a year ago. But Berserker, uh, the recent title that just came out from Matt Kint and co-written by Keanu Reeves, uh, art by Ron Garney. We we chatted about it on, on one of the previous podcasts. It always looked like it was being set up for a movie and possibly a TV show. Well, they just announced that they're... Uh, it was Netflix, isn't it? Are going to be going ahead Netflix, with a yeah. movie, but also a anime series as well. So, 
get on the comic while you can. First issue is very visceral, very Punisher level violence. Uh, some some good world building. I thought it had a good zinger in the in the tail uh, of the first issue because otherwise it was just a lot of relentless violence. But <laughs> I enjoyed the world that we're setting up there. But Keith definitely put it best. It was like a uh, a dumbed down version of the old guard. So. Uh, I'll look forward to that. I, I wonder who they'll get to play the main role. Who, hmm. who could they get that looks hmm. like the main character Some of Berserker? <laughs> you never know. You never know. So, yeah, so those are just a few wee bits and pieces uh, that sort of caught our eye in the last week and things that we're looking forward to as well. But as always, we're here to chat about the weekly comics. So, but yeah, so for 17th of March, you know, we always like to look at our um, pull list, how many titles we had, breakdowns of what they were. So this week I had 19 titles in total. Uh, it was a fairly even split, actually. I had 5 DC, 6 Marvel, 7 Indie, and then 1 Indie trade paperback as well. How about you, Keith? What were your numbers? I had 15 titles in total. Uh, the standard sort of 2 to 4 behind you. Uh, <laughs> 3 were DC, 7 were Marvel, 4 were Indie, and I had 1 Indie trade paperback as well. What, pray tell, was yours, Alan? I think it might just be the same one as yours, Keith. It was a silly-sized graphic novel, isn't that right? That's correct. It was uh, It was The Fall, uh, which was um, by a Swiss cartoonist, isn't that right? I think it was... I know it was um, translated from German, but it oh, might, it might yeah, be a Swiss creator, but I know it was translated from German uh, anyway. It's, it covers the first six issues of that series, um, which was released in 2018. And it, it talks, it, 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 it's about effectively a post-apocalyptic world-ending pandemic. Uh, Just the kind of thing wow. you want to be reading now. <laughs> the only real difference is that, you know, in that, it's like it's like a cross between The Walking Dead and The Road, Cormac McCarthy's The Road, and that sort of bleakness. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the difference between the real world and that is that the, their economy was already much further in the, the global economy was really much further in the toilet so there weren't the resources to deal with a global pandemic that was much deadlier much more virulent than coronavirus mm-hmm. and uh, it goes from there follows follows a father named uh, named liam his daughter sophia and their and his son max following the death of of their mother as they they try and get out of burn and uh, uh and, uh, and and stay safe but it's, it's pretty gritty stuff, I thought, Alan. Yeah, I mean, we're we're both right in a sense as well. It was a Swiss comic book creator, but it was originally published in German. So, uh-huh. you know, obviously Switzerland, you know, there's there's French speakers, German speakers, et cetera, et cetera. I actually haven't read it yet. Uh, I had a quick flick through it. I just obviously having a slightly bigger pull list. I, I put always put trades to the end, so I haven't actually uh-huh. read it. I've, I've had a flick through. The art looks pretty awesome in it. And I'm very much looking forward to uh, to tucking into that. Uh, what about yourself, Paddy? What were your numbers this week? I had a very impressive six issues uh, this week. The joy of six. Uh, I actually had eight, but two of them were from previous week that I got added on late. So I decided to be honest with my numbers. Perfect split, two of each, two ND, two DC, and two Marvel. See, those are some rookie numbers, though. We've got we've to get those rookie numbers out. So you know what it was? It's when I left, and I was like, oh, you know what? That's good. I could have used contactless from a pool this week. And then when I had them read, I was just sitting the rest of the week with nothing, and I'm just like... Mm-hmm. We know you've got Marvel Unlimited, Paddy. You've always something to read. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so pretty pretty respectable tools. It was a slightly quieter week. I mean, I, I find at the moment, certainly with the DC stuff, that, you know, 
there's been a little bit of sort of controversy this week. It looks like DC are going to be raising some of their prices, um, but they're certainly cutting back on the amount of releases. You know, I, I always use Batman as an example. It may be a slightly more expensive book, but you're only getting it once a month instead of two issues a month, that kind of thing. So I find ever since Infinite Frontier, DC have maybe six, maximum seven titles a week. Uh, so they they really do seem to be focusing on quality over quantity. So, I mean, with that in mind, looking at the honourable mentions, I mean, I said at 5DC this week, we're going to be talking about four of them. Uh, the only one that I'm not talking about is actually called Truth and Justice, but I haven't read issue two yet. Uh, I've just sort of been stockpiling one and two of it. But, you know, in terms of the honourable mentions stuff, you know, Keith is now going to tell us why Stephen should read Justice League, especially after his uh, rather pointed Zack Snyder Justice League review on Facebook. <laughs> and, yeah, and I, and I, you know, I have to say, I was, I, I was obviously been a wee bit, uh, a wee bit, uh, uh, just a wee bit cheeky whenever I was talking about Brian Michael Bendis Justice League, um, but, but yeah, so this is the first issue of Justice League that has, you know, following the soft reboot of Infinite Frontier. So this, rather than going back to issue one, thankfully we're sticking with issue fifty nine. We've got. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis, who needs no introduction, uh, reuniting with artist David Marquez of Miles Morales, um, Iron Man, Batman, Superman fame, to name a few. And the the cast is a fairly a fairly star studded sort of a sort of a Justice League cast. We've got Superman, Batman, the Flash, Hawk Girl, Aquaman. Uh, we have Hippolyta in here. Uh, you know, in the in the Wonder Woman shoes, uh, we have. The Brian Michael Bendis created Naomi, uh, who you may or may not know. Uh, and then finally, Black Adam, uh, who we know we're gearing up towards a, a film at some point in the near, near-ish, medium-term future. Um, Starring Dwayne Johnson, I believe. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, yeah. So, yeah, it's great. It's it, So there's two stories in here, as is the way with these books. Uh, we've got... Uh, Brian Michael Bendis, David Marquez on the on the, the main title, the main Justice League title, and we have Ram V and Zermanico in uh, on a on a Justice League dark uh, story. Both stories were beautifully rendered. Um, they they they're the first, obviously the first um, issue in an arc. And in the in the main story, we have a character called a, a, a demon like character called uh, Brutus. Uh, coming to Earth, uh, invading um, Kandak, which is the uh, the home, uh, the 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 kingdom of of Black Adam that he is the leader and protector of. It attacks uh, Black Adam, you know, and uh, and the the Justice League uh, come to the rescue. Um, uh, so I guess there's there's a great battle sequence where they're they're each using their various sort of their various powers and environments. You know, at one point they knock Brutus into the sea and. And Aquaman has him surrounded by sharks, and Aquaman punches him out of the sea, and it's some real, some real good stuff from uh, from uh, Marquez as well here. Uh, so yeah, it was just, it was just solid. Uh, there's a lovely moment, uh, you know, towards the end where obviously there's a there's a lack of trust between the Justice League and Black Adam, but um, Black Adam sort of dismisses himself, you know, but you see him looking back over his shoulder and. His eyes catch Superman, so obviously there's there's something coming here in the future, whether or not that's you know. And meanwhile, Green uh, Green Arrow and Black Canary Green Arrow has been talking about really needing to shake up the Justice League, get different views, get a different uh, point of view on things. So I don't know that you know that's where we come to 
Naomi, but uh, I can see Black Adam potentially uh, potentially joining in as well. The uh, the Justice League Dark story is just fantastic. Possibly possibly a little stronger than the than the, the core story. Uh, features uh, Zatanna and Constantine and Merlin. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it, it seems to be setting up the the Justice League backstories from Future State, uh, if you recall. So yeah, really really enjoyable issue. Um, yeah, I mean if you as 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 I said, Stephen, as Stephen said about uh, Snyder Cut, as I'm saying about this, you know, if you enjoy these characters, if you've enjoyed the comics, then you know get on board this first issue and uh, and see how it goes for you. Perfect jumping on point as all of the Infinite Frontier uh, issues seem to be. Yeah, when I read your your review, Keith, I messy Salon right away and got him to, to put one into my box for this week. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I would agree with the uh, the the assumption, so to speak, at the moment that Justice League Dark was a slightly stronger issue. I think some of that is because obviously we've been dealing with Ram V. We know his style on Justice League Dark, whereas Ben, mm-hmm. this is this is his first issue. There's a lot to set up. I enjoyed the art more than the the sort of story being set up, but. You know, I know Ben. This is more of a long form storyteller, so uh, I'll I'll be sticking with it definitely. I'll, I love David Marquez on art, and again, yeah, the Justice League Dark backup story I thought was was pretty great in this as well. My only yeah, worry I mean, is that that's not going to develop into a full title. You know, the way Robin obviously has started as a backup title and then is getting a full mm-hmm. title. Give yes, us our yes. Justice League Dark back, please. I think I think it'll happen, Alan. I think it'll happen, and I think it'll probably happen under the guidance of Ram V. Um, yeah, I'm I think if, if, you're, if you're a writer like Ram V, who's heading up Catwoman and Swamp Thing, you're not going to relegate him to a, a backup story, are you? Mm-hmm. On a... No, and I mean my only my only concern is sometimes Bendis can just use you know the, the characters just become talking heads, you know, in a, on a team book, and they can just use them just to. I guess that as information sinks, you know, and, and, and really not grab onto the personalities of the characters. But certainly here, I'm, I'm feeling fairly good about, about what's going on. Um, the bad boat is included as well, which is interesting. <laughs> Never a bad thing. Never a bad thing. Well, I mean, speaking of Ram V, certainly another title I enjoyed this week. And again, a perfect jumping on point was Catwoman number 29. So this is Ram V on art, or sorry, Ram V on writing and Fernando Blanco on art. And then you have the hardest working colorist in comics today, Jordi Belair, of course, doing colors. So Catwoman's a series I've enjoyed from the start. I jumped on Catwoman just because it was a spin out from Batman 50, the original Tom Keen run or volume three, I should say, Tom Keen run. And with this Catwoman, it was a case of Tinian essentially broke Batman and Catwoman up in his Batman title. He, they, they set up this scenario where Selina was going to go off for a year and take care of any enemies she had, any enemies she gained during Joker War. And, you know, Batman was going to go off, try and rebuild his fortune, rebuild his name, and they would sort of meet back together in a year almost. But the Catwoman series is superb. It, it predominantly takes place in an area of Gotham called Alleytown. And, you know, Selina's sort of the queen of Alleytown. You know, she's in charge of a, a group called the Strays, who are all orphan kids who, you know, are needing some guidance, that kind of thing. And, and Catwoman always toes the line between sort of thief and hero. But this was a really great issue, A, because the art was superb. Fernando Blanco, really big fan. Uh, the art's really sort of dynamic and fast-paced. There's a couple of really good action scenes in there. They establish a brand new villain as well for the first time who is taking down some of the more nefarious people in Alleytown. And then you've got Selina who's, you know, trying her best to be good but always ends up involved in something bad. And there's a few interesting cameos in here as well. There's one particular Batman, well-known Batman villain who 
I would say is fairly underutilized in Batman titles these days. Uh, I'll see if you can figure out who it is when I say the last story arc that they were really well used in was the War of Jokes and Riddles. But yeah, really, really solid issue. Really a lot of fun. Ram V again is one of those guys that, you know, as we talked about with Justice League Dark, if Ram V's on a tight line, I'm going to give it a go. And really beautiful Jenny Frisson variant as well. This is this is a title that I've always collected in variant form, you know, so I've got all, uh, as far as I say, issue 29, I have all the variants rather than all the cover A's. And that all falls back to me usually giving up my cover A's when people go, have you got a spare copy of that? They very rarely ask for the variants, so sometimes I find it's better to collect variants than cover A's, so I can keep my collection intact. So, yeah, really solid issue, really good jumping on point for the character, and, you know, you can't go wrong with another Gotham title, and Batman's nowhere to be seen and everything. So, yeah, Catwoman 20, uh, 29 for me there. So, those were the DC Honourable Mentions, there may be a few more we chat about down the line, but we'll move on to Marvel now as well, Honourable Mention time. It's now Keith's monthly attempt to get me into Tony Stark, clearly, with the next issue of <laughs> Iron Man. Christopher Campwell still on this, is he? He absolutely is. Uh, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Christopher Campwell and Cafu's turn on, on Iron Man here is probably the single best book that Marvel's putting out week to week, uh, month to month. Uh, the quality of both the writing and the art remains remains high. The storyline is just great quality and an exploration of of uh, of Tony and, and I guess his ego and what he's what he's like, you know, whenever he doesn't have his company behind him. You know, there's there's probably parallels here between you know Batman and and, and uh, Bruce having lost his fortune uh, and going a wee bit more low tech as per future state, Dark Detective and that, but Iron Man and his small band of allies are heading into space. They're pursuing Korvac into the furthest reaches of the galaxy uh, as the uh, as the villain tries to make it to Galactus' ship tattoo in order to become, uh, you know, a god again, that sort of thing. So he's trying to telepathically lure Hellcat and Tony into this towards his the utopian visions he has of the universe. But uh, the end of it sort of leaves Tony on a, I guess, an un charted planet and uh you know tony's friends sort of at at his mercy sort of thing but it, it's just it is just great the dialogue is is phenomenal um i love the conversation between uh the uh the group of of individuals that tony has has assembled uh the the fabulous frogman the scarlet spider uh moon knight and and gargoyle uh yeah it's that's really there's a really good uh good point you know where 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 ben riley scarlet spider is they're they're having a a talk about god or their god and is there a difference at this point and scarlet spider obviously has has peter parker's background in science because uh, he's a clone of, of peter and he says it's all cells molecules and atoms you are the sum total of the muscular reflexes holding your body together that ends up thinking it's something which is to say someone M misty knight says so the idea of me it's like a side effect of being alive and, uh, and Ben says, exactly, hard science, that's it. Fabulous Frogman goes, hear that? The test tube clone says it's just science. <laughs> There's some great, some great stuff, a great conversation between uh, Tony and Rhodey as, uh, as they, they tune up, you know, the, the, you know Rhodey tunes up Tony's armor. It just, it's, it's just really good quality comics, really good. We'd better have a twist in the tail at the end, but uh, 
still really, really enjoying this issue to issue. I mean, those are big this words is... saying that it's the best title Marvel are producing at the moment. Those, those are big, big words. You stand by oh, those? I mean, it's... Oh, I, yeah, I, yep. yeah, I, I, I absolutely do uh, <laughs> consistently. He is definitely uh, determined to get me onto this title. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it must be good if it's uh, if it tars over our next honorable mention, which has been uh, multiple recipient of picks of the week. Uh, so we're up to issue thirteen of Donny Cates and Nick Klein's Thor. This is part five of six of the storyline Prey. This was a pretty epic issue. This was predominantly. Um, filling us in on where Odin has been recently and uh, why he has ended up on the stool of a bar drinking away his worries when uh, Sif comes to find him. This is very much a team-up issue. You've got appearances with Doctor Strange. You've got Loki in here. You've got uh, the aforementioned Odin as well. Some really great splash pages in this as well. I love the art. The art was so visceral in this and mm. so violent. I mean... You, you kind of still don't think Donald Blake's outnumbered, even with only one issue to go. Like, he's become that powerful. <laughs> yeah. But a great little stinger in the tail with this one as well, as you say, with uh, the final page. I mean, this, this is a title to me for just just gets better and better. This arc has been phenomenal. This is the, the Prey arc has just been class from conception and execution. The, the art, as you say, is just perfect. Donny Cates on writing, brilliant. Uh, we're starting to see the turnaround here a little bit, I think. Especially with that, as you say, twist in the tail. What um, was I didn't uh, I didn't didn't get it I didn't I didn't get how it was a twist. Who was the character? Who was what was that? The at the very end on the last yeah. page. Um, that is the destroyer armor. That is uh, an Asgardian suit of armor, uh, an automaton that uh, was built to destroy gods. You might remember um, even in the first movie as well how it was the yeah, protector yes. as well. And there's a line of dialogue it might be easy to miss to um, two pages prior where there's a voice that says, Father, I believe I'll handle this. Yeah. So you can So it's yeah, you can put two and two together as <laughs> as Thor has done. You know, there was no way for Thor to come back bodily to this realm. Uh, because in order to do so, he needs to slap the, uh, the 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 walking stick against the ground. That's how he and John Don Blake changed places. Don Blake broke that walking stick in the first part of this story, uh, so it, so it's not the case. So Thor had to find some other way to come back, uh, and this is his uh, yes. this is his solution to the problem. So yeah, this is going to be this is going to be good. Uh, obviously, anything that includes. Uh, Jane Foster Valkyrie, I'm good to go. Uh, I did enjoy her knocking the living shit out of Odin in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, that was pretty good. Um, and yeah, the you know Stephen Strange sort of uh, getting his comeback after uh, after uh, being Don so Blake easily sort of, tossed aside in yeah, previous yes, issues. Exactly. So yeah, looking uh, looking good. Uh, really enjoyed this. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, there was a couple of other uh, Marvel ones, just worth a, a quick chat. Uh, the first one up, actually, I read this as well myself. I know you've put it down as a honorable mention, Keith, which was the Captain America uh, anniversary tribute issue. So this was sort of a reimagining of classic issues of Captain America, but just essentially brought to life by the best talent around at the moment, the best artists around. So you must have got a real kick out of this. It was just like going through Marvel's history. Yeah, I really did. So it was a retelling of Captain America Comics 1, uh, both the Meet the Captain America story and Riddle of the Red Skull, we were originally by Joe Simon, Jack Kirby, you know, in the, in, the, in the first telling. And then Avengers 4, which was Captain America's reappearance 
into the uh, into the Silver Edge by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. So it was all three issues. I love the format that they're doing these anniversaries in. They did it with a giant size X Men. Mm-hmm. They did it started, I guess, with Marvel One Thousand, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, back then. But I just love that they've taken that and run with it. And you know, whenever I first saw it, I thought, why would I rebuy that? But then looking through it, you would all of the you know every every art team gets a page. Whether that you know you're starting with John Cassidy and Laura Martin, uh, Declan Shelby's in there, Salvador Laruca, uh, Marguerite Suavage, Peach Momoko, Juan Cabal, all within eight pages. <laughs> you know, so it's uh, I just I just thought it was and as Alex Ross obviously gets a turn there as well because you can't without Alex Ross, you know. No. Uh, but yeah, I really uh, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed some of those reinterpretations, and it just it flows nicely. It's a lovely it's a lovely keepsake. So I love how they're. I love how they're doing this. I mean, I know, you know, the the, the DC thing with their anniversary issues, or the, is the big compilations, yeah, uh, the big square bound. So, and I, I love that Marvel have done something different. You know, they haven't just done the same thing. They could easily have have done something like that. So, yeah, I I really like it. I really like it. It seems fitting, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed it as well. I I it's obviously more old fashioned dialogue and so forth. They've kept the original Stan Lee and Jack Kirby scripts and so forth, which I think is good as well, rather than, you know, trying to change that. The one thing the only thing about it that not bugged me, it was just I kept having to go back to the front to see who the new artist was. I agree. Totally, every yeah. time. You know, yeah, I, I yeah, kinda I wish just at the top of the page. page yeah, yeah, just top of the page. Yeah. Because you're really enjoying the art, and you're like, "Oh, who's that?" and and then you're trying to figure it out yourself. You know, you're trying to challenge yourself for not going back to the front to see who it is. But uh, no, I enjoyed it. It was it's amazing how close that origin of Captain America was filmed. You know, going through the the sort of you know five and dime store through to the back and into the secret laboratory, and you know it Uh like it was. You were just reading that in the. in the live action actors' yes, voices, yeah, I thought. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, very, very good stuff. Very good stuff indeed. Yeah, and then just one last one I just wanted to throw uh, out a bit of attention for. We we got quite a few of these in for the store, and if you're not on Daredevil yet, this is a brilliant way to jump into it. So Marvel are releasing more and more of these hardcover volumes, uh, which tend to include anywhere between twelve and uh, sorry between ten and thirteen issues. So in the last few weeks, you've had the first volume launch of Jason Aaron's Avengers. You've had the first uh, volume launch of Dan Slott's Fantastic Four. This week saw the release of Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil, the first volume. And they blow up the art. They do the, these really, really nice hardcovers. They've done it for uh, Venom by Donny Cates as well. There's a couple of volumes. And this one contained the first two story arcs as well. So just in case you haven't you know, listened to us yet and jumped on board that Daredevil train, this is a really good way of getting into it with those uh, hardcover volumes as well. So definitely worth a shout out. Then we move on to the indie side of things. Just a couple of things to throw out here. Uh, I read Radiant Black 2 as well. I enjoyed it. I don't think it was quite as gripping as the first issue. I don't know if that's a, an opinion you share or not. I thought it was better than issue one. Uh, yeah, I find myself enjoying it more when he's not the superhero. I know he hasn't been the superhero that long, but I like the, the human side of this. You know, the, the discussions he had with his father twice throughout the book about wanting to give up, you know, his dream of being a writer and everything, I thought was extremely, extremely well done. I definitely enjoyed it better than, than issue one. Um. I I was neck and neck. I I can, that's part of the same story. Uh, the story being that uh, Mister Nathan, uh, 
not a field writer, but a, a writer who is is failing to get the traction that he first hoped as quickly as as he had hoped, has had to move back home. Uh, back steps never an easy thing. He and his friend have found an, uh, an alien artifact of some kind, turned him into a superhero. Uh, that was yesterday. Today, his dad's telling him he needs to get a job. <laughs> um, so he's back to the, the, the Uber rideshare company that he was driving for. And we also see that there's another superhero or supervillain or super being that shares the look of him with a different color, a red color that's robbing banks. So, you know, that's a thing. I just, I think it's just, just a great comic book series. This is, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, the, I'm enjoying the human side of it. I'm also enjoying the exploration of the powers alongside Nathan and what, what he can, what he can do. And this is, this is why I loved, uh, I would compare this nearly to Invincible because we were discovering, you know, the, the, the powers, the, the, the character and the powers and Invincible at the same time as Mark was. Uh, and that's what made it cool. You could nearly, you could nearly imagine yourself inside his head. You know what I mean? What would happen if I got superpowers? You know? So, so I, yeah, I enjoyed this and I am, I'm a hundred percent on board, hundred percent on board for this. Uh, really, really enjoying it. Really enjoying it to see where it's, I think there's going to be a big mythology here. I think there's going to be a large, and you know, the two cops being involved as well. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, I did quite kind of enjoy actually how the cops covered for him because obviously they turned up at the door and he thought he was in trouble. But you know, you've never seen a mum look so proud in a book, have you? Then when the police turn up and they're like, "Oh no, your son's a is a hero," so he is. So yeah, I did enjoy it. Don't get me wrong; it's just I was I was really impressed with issue one. I'm definitely sticking with it certainly, but I just thought it's it was a very, a very real character, very. Uh sympathetic character you can sort of understand what he's going through maybe to some extent we've all been through something not yeah. entirely unlike that at various times so yeah i really enjoyed it yeah well another book that i definitely wanted to throw out some love for and that wasn't actually far away from being a pick of the week for me uh this was a book i was really looking forward to i threw it out on the previews podcast months ago it's a dark horse comic called orphan and the five beasts so this is from uh writer artist james stoko and this was fantastic. Now, I've been watching an awful lot of Naruto recently as well, so I'm really getting into my manga again and into sort of that Eastern mythology and so forth. And with this one, it's essentially about an adopted warrior called Orphan Mo, who was taken in by a sort of old Kung Fu master and raised. But the thing is, the, the Kung Fu master is, is on the edge of death, and he is actually asked in a weird way for Orphan Mo to pay him back by seeking out and finding and killing five former disciples of his because they want to threaten the land with corruption from their demonic powers that they learned from him he tried to teach them you know the, the way of being being good but they actually took it the other way so the art in this was just unreal i mean jim stokoe's art you'll either love or you'll hate he recently did a batman annual number five so his his art is very exaggerated you know it's very colorful it's it's not a realistic art style at all it is more of a manga art style i would say but I mean, there's even a character introduced in this in the in the first issue, the first disciple he tracks down, which is called Thunder Thighs, and it's a character who's riding a horse at one point, and he actually squeezes the horse to death, because and refers to it as pitiful nag, didn't even last two full laps because his his thighs are so powerful, and it's just really over the top grind grindhousey type stuff, but it's the perfect kind of escapism that the comics can can hit you with because you couldn't film this realistically this would have to be an anime type style but 
I know Roddy will be definitely into this one. He's a big fan of James Stucco. Did a an Aliens comic not too long back as well. I think it was called Dead Orbit. So yeah, really recommend it. It's only four issues long. So he's reached uh, one of the five at the end of this. So I reckon you'll get two in the next issue, then one in the third, one in the fourth. But yeah, really class, over the top stuff. Really, really enjoyable. So that was Orphan and the Five Beasts, number one. Uh, then another one I, I dug, and again, I think I'm on my own with this one, but this was one called Ultra Mega. Now, this was actually brought to my attention from a regular, and it's interesting this came out a week before Godzilla vs. Kong, because this is essentially a giant kaiju comic. And when I say giant, I mean giant, because it's actually a square-bound sort of 60-pager. It's going to be a title coming out every two months, but it's always going to be a larger size. So this comes from the team of James Harron uh, on writing and art duties, and Dave Stewart is on colors now. Dave Stewart is actually credited on the cover as well. That's how important his color work is here. So it's uh, it's just a really, again, over-the-top kaiju story. It's all about this uh, plague that has infected humanity. Anyone can become host to like what's called the kaiju curse and just become a kaiju and start destroying the city at any time. But what they've done is they've actually, there's a few people who have been chosen, you know, that it's, it's come to them in a dream that they have to be the protectors of this city. So you can imagine with this being a square bound sort of 60 pager, there's a lot of kaiju work on the go here. A lot of big action sequences, big destruction. But you've also got a lot of good character moments as well. I mean, the main character that we're following, who was chosen, so to speak. You know, he has um, a pregnant wife at home. He has a previous relationship that he left when, you know, she was pregnant. That It looks like that's going to turn out to be the villain. Uh, there's a lot of witchcraft type stuff in here as well. And there's a lot of body horror. You know, it's it's definitely a very adult comic book. Uh, you know, body horror to rival the likes of The Thing, I would say. But just great world building to it. Uh, beautiful, beautiful art. And the ending of it was not what I expected in terms of it being an ongoing series. So, yeah, really, really great book. And again, just heavily, heavily influenced by that sort of Eastern style and, you know, the Kaiju style as well. So, again, really, really dug that one. Um, and then, yeah, the last one we just had down, you'd obviously chatted about it a little bit before already, Keith, the fall. So, anything to add to that other than your uh, your, your joy at that it's uh, European-sized? Yeah, no, I mean, I, it didn't it didn't bother me. It didn't bother me, uh, I think. It only bothers you if you it know, has a DC and a black label symbol on it. I, no, it, it, because those are books that are going to, that I, w- I would be hoping to store alongside all of my other books, and I just can't do that. Um, <laughs> so neither, you know, neither do I complain about the size of, of omnibus editions, because I, I know that's what I'm, I'm buying them to put in a shelf, you know, once I read them. Uh, whereas this, you know, is slightly different. It's an independent publisher. It's an independent book. Um, I don't know if I'll just wait until the next volume comes out, uh, you know, rather than pick it up in singles from issue seven. Um, I do wonder if they'll release it in singles because I don't remember there being an English translation and singles released of this one. That's it. That's a really good point. So... Alan. It did say at the end of the graphic novel, you know, coming soon, fall number seven, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it could be. It could be exactly that. It could be exactly that. But nope, not nothing. Nothing more from me. But yeah, that's it. I mean, that's a very European uh, style size of comic book. I mean, that was something that, you know, DC Black Label was very much influenced by. You know, I've talked about it before. One of my favorite comics is a title called Black Sad, which is by a couple of Spanish creators. And same again, it's in that sort of square format. So um, it does it does suit some books uh, certainly more than others. Let's just say that. 
But well, we're going to get on to our picks of the week now, and it's a it's a nice almost even split here. I I see Keith has given up his actual pick of the week. You know, you you really did just have such a quiet week here, Paddy. You had to steal someone else's uh-huh. pick again. I decided that I've stole yours quite enough, Alan. So it's time to move on the the stealing Keith's pick of the week. Uh, this, <laughs> th- there was no there was no theft involved here. This was uh... it was the discussion. <laughs> a discussion that uh, we'll leave to last out of the three picks simply because I think it's probably all of our picks of the week, but we have to actually just, you know, pick different things because I was very close to having it as well. But what I'm going to actually throw out is my pick of the week, and it was, and it became my pick of the week sort of through circumstance as well because I said I wasn't going to talk about it, but I'll talk about it very quickly. But we, we did a triple bill when we were going to watch uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, so we started with Man of Steel. And I didn't want to make Vicky watch 10 hours of movies all in a row. So what we did is we watched Man of Steel. And then I said, look, let's take a break. And I wanted to read some comics, get a bit of lunch, all that kind of thing. So, I mean, I'm a big fan of Man of Steel. and I find it very inspiring. I love the music. I love the cast, everything about it. And then I jumped into my comics and I picked up Superman Red and Blue, number one. And I just still had that Man of Steel theme playing in my head as I was reading it. And I think that really added to the enjoyment of it. So, DC have been doing anthologies for a long time. The most famous one is Batman Black and White. So, with Batman Black and White, you know, it's a, they're always self-contained short stories. You've got a rotating roster of uh, comic book creators, and they all are not beholden to any sort of continuity. They can tell whatever type of story they want. So, and the art is always in black and white. So, for Superman Red and Blue, the predominant colors, of course, of Superman's outfit are red and blue. So, for the first issue of this, they uh, gave us five different stories. So, you had uh, stories written by Brandon Easton, Marguerite Bennett, Dan Waters, Wes Craig, and John Ridley. The artists were Clayton Henry, Steve Lieber, Jill Thompson, Danny, and Wes Craig actually wrote and drew his own story. That alone would be enough to bring me to this because I'm a huge Deadly Class fan. Wes Craig is the artist on it, so just seeing his interpretation of Superman alone was enough to get me interested. But the five stories really enveloped what Superman means, and that's why I love this so much. We kicked off with a story from John Ridley and Clayton Henry, and it's all about following Clark Kent back to a scene where he was actually vulnerable as Superman. It's in, a, in an Eastern European country of Lubania. Uh, nice uh, false country there. Uh, and he had a previously uh, traumatic experience there where he was actually captured as Superman. They were able to weaken him. They were able to torture him. And he actually goes back to face the man that, you know, carried out a lot of the torture on him. But he goes back as a reporter. So you've got that. You've got a uh, a great story by Brandon Easton and Steve Lieber. This was really heartbreaking story, actually. This was all about, you know, this immense inspirational power Superman has. But also the fact that he just can't be everywhere at once. I mean, there was a great part in this where he starts talking about, you know, he's just surrounded by letters. He's sitting on this uh, this sofa reading through letters because he goes to this funeral of, a, of an older woman and her son's there and you know superman turns up the, the the son is like i can't believe you're here and superman says i needed to arrive much earlier than this you know it turned out that the the son's mother had a, a drug habit and you know he wrote to superman basically saying can you help my mom beat this habit and he never answered the call so to speak because he just he can't be everywhere at once so that was a great story as well. And then the Wes Craig one was brilliant. It was possibly my favorite one. And again, part of that's to do with the art and being a fan. But I just love this idea that sometimes Superman needs a little help from the little guy. 
So this was a story mm. called The Boy Who Saved Superman, and it was essentially all taking place during this big, massive fight Superman's having. He's been knocked out. He gets knocked down onto the street level all around these sort of tenement blocks, and there's this kid who's trying to help him up. He's, he's shouting to everybody else close to him, come and help me, come and help me. They keep running away, and this, this one kid knows that he needs to get Superman to the roof so that he has exposure to the sun, gets some of his power back and can fight back. And the way this story ended with uh, or Clark Kent meeting this boy years later because he was applying for a job in the Daily Planet, like Superman's shaking this kid's hand like he's like his absolute hero. It's just absolutely class. Uh, real, like he talks about how he's an admirer of his work and, you know, uh, you're still shaking my hand there, you know, all this kind of stuff. So that was a really great story. Then you had a, a black and white one, actually, which was all about... It's quite a meta tale, I thought, given that it's called Superman Red and Blue, but it was all about this villain taking all the color out of the world uh, and then giving it back to Superman and making it, you know, up to him whether he restores color to the world. Because although red is the color of love, it's also the color of anger. Although oh, blue is the yeah. color of hope, it's the color of envy, you know, and, you know, or not envy, sorry, jealousy. So that was a really good one. And then the last story I thought was wonderful as well. It was the most ah shucks Superman story of them all. It was all about him as a little kid being sent to his first day of kindergarten and not understanding why certain kids would want to play with some car- uh, some children but not others. How can he make that better? How can he bridge that gap and bring people together? It was just a, just a brilliant, brilliant book. And it really surprised me because I'm not the biggest Superman guy. I always say that Superman is a character that really needs the right creative team to be great i i struggle with ongoing superman series because how do you consistently make threats big enough to put the man of steel in danger but if you do a brilliant mini series a superman up in the sky a superman american alien a all-star superman or indeed this which is a series of short stories i think it works brilliantly so i was massively impressed by this um i know you read it keith as well what yeah i loved it i i loved it too um yeah, I mean, a great, great set of creative teams. Uh, certainly enjoyed the the first one, you know, about about Clark's post traumatic stress disorder, you know, having been uh, held captive for six months or a year, whatever it was, and and being tortured by this guy, uh, and what happens when he comes face to face with them. As you say, you know, Brian, Brandon Easton's The Measure of Hope about the, you know, the. I guess Superman being not being able to fill, fulfill necessary the the things that people hold him up to be. Um, but I think my my favourite was was the School of Hard Knock Knock jokes, the Marguerite Bennett, Jill Thompson one. <laughs> uh, looked gorgeous, you know that last that last story. Yeah, uh, it had man pa Kent in it, and it really was the story that showed, um, you know, put in place the blocks of who superman is going to be yeah you know the building blocks i thought it was great that uh it was kind of like, it reminded me a wee bit of smallville actually in smallville he always wore you know a red t-shirt and a blue jacket or a, or a red jacket and a blue t-shirt and then this he's always got blue jeans and a red shirt on or uh a red shirt and blue dungarees you know or something like that which is where the red and blue comes in but yeah i uh, i did enjoy it i'm looking forward to next issue robert vendetti uh chuck brown stephanie phillips dan panosian uh, there's some yeah some great stuff coming up yeah very much looking forward to it and again it wasn't a series that i necessarily was looking forward to but i think i was it was a it was sort of a the mood i was in as well you know again yeah. having watched man of steel the soundtrack was in my head 
and it just really hit the spot for me. So yeah, definitely, definitely up there this week as the as the best book of the week. So that is Superman Red and Blue number one. So that was my pick of the week. What about yourself, Keith? Since Patty wrestled your actual pick away, what is your second pick of the week? <laughs> Again, you're making this all seem very aggressive, Alan. Not at all. I just like to keep the people informed. You know. <laughs> Uh, so my pick of the week is Black Knight number one, uh, Curse of the the Ebony Blade, um, and I don't think that'll be a surprise to to anybody, uh, given that I, I talked so highly about the one shot. So this is by Sai uh, Spurrier and uh, Sergio de Villa on uh, on the art duties. So obviously Dean Whitman is getting closer to some big screen attention, played by Kit Harrington of Game of Thrones fame. So seeing Dean Whitman get, you know, the spotlight in comics is a very welcome thing, especially under the curation of Cy Spurrier and uh, Sergio de Villa. So this is a this is the first of a five issue series, Black Knight. I guess this goes back to what separated Marvel comics from DC comics back in the back at the, the beginning, back in the early days. Marvel heroes were heroes that had issues to deal with and had had baggage, you know, had personal problems. You know, Peter Parker, in addition to being, you know, the you know, the amazing Spider Man and having all his powers and whatnot, he was also a nerd, you know, who had real social anxiety and, and issues to deal with and the, the problem of looking after his elderly aunt, you know, and and his his sense of responsibility and the guilt around the death of his uncle. So so yeah, that, I mean that that really was the separating point between the DC heroes and the more, and this really carries that on. And at the same time, it does a really good job of of introducing Dean Whitman, the Black Knight. So Dean is he has been a hero for a long time uh, in the Marvel universe. Um, there was a point that he was a, a stalwart member of, and even the leader of the Avengers, uh, which is a point that he is sure you know he, he makes sure he brings up in this debut issue. But a lot has changed since since that time, since the, that time in the early 90s. The series picks up after the King and Black, Black Knight one-shot, which for me has been the, the best King and Black tie-in so far, where Dane's world was sort of shattered when it was revealed to him that that his ancestral, ancestral line were chosen to wield the, the Ebony Blade, not because of their knightly heroic fortitude, but instead for the fact that they're broken and they're easily swayed and they're corruptible and Dean's Dean's power the, the, the power that comes from the ebony blade whenever he is angry whenever he's um you know morose or, or or whenever he's feeling negative emotion that's when he really powers up whenever he's feeling great whenever he's um you know uh, honorable and that he doesn't he doesn't have that that same power so he, in some ways he's comparable to Captain Britain, who is powered up by his own self-belief. In some ways, actually, Alan, he reminds me of what they've done reminds me a wee bit of the Grief Knight mm-hmm. in Day. You know how he powers up whenever he, he feels negative emotion and yeah. grief and that sort of thing. So, so yeah, so, I mean, this is, Dane is filled with, he's, he's, he's all self-loathing. He is sort of, he's made a bit of a mockery of himself. He's, he's, the other the other Avengers and the other heroes in this book sort of barely tolerate him. You know, he's he's all he's worried about the dark side of his power that he's discovered. He's not he's not Avengers material anymore. And you know, the I guess in this particular issue a battle goes sideways 
very very quickly and Dean finds there's more to the Black Knight name than than, than even just what he knows, even the bloodlust and the and the full medieval mannerisms, you know, the 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 Thor like talk that he talks, you know, he's always talking about forsooth and uh, fair maiden, <laughs> you know. And at one stage Thor pulls him up on him, goes, Are You taking the piss out of me? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so as I say, he sort of reminds me a wee bit of the, the Grief Knight and uh and Kieran Gillen's uh, die. And uh, you know, there's there's dark dark humour here that Cy Spurrier is just fantastic at, at bringing to the fore, as you know from his, his his Hellblazer book, which he was so ceremoniously, it was so ceremoniously dumped. And there's a there's a nod to to not more than a, a nod actually. There's there's they're they're not scared about embracing formerly taboo topics like mental health and 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 self help and all the way through this, you know, Dean is talking to this self help AI system. Uh, you know that he's he's trying to he's trying to explain to, and he's just not getting the. It's like he's isolated. It's like he's the outsider the whole time, and and the mental the mental trouble that he's feeling, the anguish that he's feeling, is really well put together. So, the first issue has a has a it's a great cast, um, an all star cast of Avengers. You know, Cap and Thor and Iron Man and Captain Marvel's in there, uh, and Dean is called to help against some some nasty monsters. And you really see what an outsider he now is compared to the other Avengers. You know, they've called him in because he's they call him a weapon of mass destruction. They need a they need a WMD and they call him in. It's not about their worry about him, you know, so that he's set up as a sympathetic character, whereas the the rest of the Avengers are kind of set up sort of a wee bit like dickish. You know what I mean? It's kinda it's a wee bit a wee bit like that. Um and he I mean he really does it really highlights that. I mean Seis Barrier is he's obviously trying to push the story forward and reestablish Dean Whitman in the in the MU, you know, and as a, a you know, and he's been totally underused for the past what thirty years. So really trying to reestablish him, and uh, the the first half is sort of the battle. The second half we see a wee bit more. We see Dean's goat headed butler weird uh, the castle he lives in he has the traumatic it's it's a total twist you know by the by halfway through the issue the main character has been decapitated um there, so there's there's a real a real solid foundation for i think what's going to be an amazing series and uh sergio davila's art is just great um full-on action there's a there's a a vision of Camelot as well, because Black Knight is very closely linked to Camelot and the, the Round Table and Arthur. And I think we're going to see a lot of those big fantasy battles maybe in the next four issues. Um, but at the same time, it's very much set within Marvel continuity, and uh, you know it feels like that. But like Dean to the Avengers, it's an outsider. You know what I mean? The book is is not quite. In step with Marvel, it's it's not the typical fair, I guess, but yeah, great, great, great art, great first story, great battles, great set pieces, locations, really getting inside Dean's head and and how he thinks of himself and those around him, uh, just a fantastic, fantastic first issue. If you haven't picked it up because you don't know who the Black Knight is, I would just go ahead and pick it up because this does a fairly good job of of introducing him. Um, even if you didn't get the King and Black one shot, um, a wee a wee Wikipedia and uh, and this first issue, you'll do you wonders. Uh, any of you guys on this? I'm not, but do you think Kit Harrington's a good choice to play him? 
certainly this version of Dean, yes. Uh, I mean, let's assume that Kit Harrington can only play one role. Uh, <laughs> you know, if he can only play one role, then he's not in. You know, if 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 Dean is a fairly. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. You know, given given the depressive nature of the character and and the struggles that he's having, I would say yes. I would say yes. Fair enough. Uh, I'm not actually on it at the moment, but maybe I'll just uh, grab an issue one and just pull one off the website. Uh, always been a fan of Spurrier's work. Obviously, did such great work in Hellblazer recently as well. Yeah. So, DC's lost all Marvel's creators. Game. All of your creators. DC's lost Marvel's gain. So. <laughs> yeah, I think so, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so that was Keith's pick of the week then. That's Black Knight number one, Curse of the Emity Blade. And we will then finish off with the probably, I would say, it's all our picks of the week. Let's be honest yeah. here. This this lived up to expectations. And then so my thought, why don't you introduce it, Patty? What's your pick of the week? My pick of the week is Black Knight number one, Curse of the Ebony Blade. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> it is Nightwing 78 by Tom Taylor. Uh, yeah, Nightwing is a character I have had very little, very little read, very little of. Maybe he popped up a few times in, in the Batman run I was reading. So, uh, Keith spoke quite highly about him, and then when I seen Tom Taylor was linked to it, yeah, I thought I would jump on. For me, this this is a perfect. This is the definition for me of a jumping on point. I picked this up knowing very very little about the character and loved absolutely every page of it. Uh, I'll not go into too much detail because I know you guys spoke quite highly of it, know a lot more about the character than I do. Uh, but yeah, we, we kind of start off the issue, it's a flashback to Dick when he's back in high school. Uh, you know, shows you the goodness in him back then as well, Bar- a ginger girl who since turns out to be a young Barbara Gordon uh, has kind of stopped a, a bunch of bullies from from picking on somebody and uh, he just jumps in and kicks her ass, really. Uh, Then he gets brought back to Wayne Manor and as you touched on earlier, I'm sure Keith was delighted to see some some Alfred in in a DC book. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and then it goes on. I know Stephen made a comment a couple of weeks ago about this. Has Tom Taylor got a, a fetish about people beating up animals or, or kicking dogs or, or killing off killing off dogs. I think that's just his way of really establishing these are bad people. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it works. And uh, Nightwing again saves the day. We, we flash forward then through about nine or ten pages of adverts uh, to carry on the story. We're introduced to who will be the villain, the villain of the story, Blockbuster. Uh, he kills off the mirrors so that one of his, his lackeys can then become the mirror uh so you basically have the mirror under control uh barbara drops by and gives uh dick uh, alfred's will and it turns out you know yeah i don't know too much as i said about nightwing but i still find that that letter to be very emotional you know especially that last line because i believe in dick grayson you know i am so very proud to call you my son you, know, mm-hmm. you, you can see, oh. <laughs> you, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm sure you used to got, you know, I, I know you you've read all of Nightwing, Keith, and so I'm sure for you it was a bit of a, bit of a lump in the throat. Oh yeah, there was a, there was a, there was a lot of that. Uh, I mean, obviously, I think that relationship, Bruce and, and Alfred have a relationship, but I think I think Dick and Alfred have a have a different relationship. You know, I think there's, the, the, Dick doesn't have that hard 
shell around him yeah. that's almost impenetrable. You know, he's he's very he's much more. He's I mean he he was the original Robin. He, he was he was the day to Batman's night. Uh, you know, it was the light of the Batman's dark, um, and I think uh, that very much appeals to Telford. He's good for he's good for 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 the sake of being good, and you know, uh, Alfred says that at one point it takes a different hero to help without a mask. Uh, I thought it was was absolutely fantastic. Um, great to see that early uh, Dick Grayson Barbara Gordon relationship. Uh, I thought. Um, and yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I mean, I give this, I give this title to Patty out of sympathy for his tiny little bull list. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, so yeah. I mean, Nightwing, Nightwing, as you know, is my favorite DC character. Great to see him under the new creatorship of, of Tom Taylor and uh, Spanish compadre Bruno Redondo. It reads amazingly. It looks amazingly. That double page spread on the title page is one of the single most beautiful pieces I've seen this year. Um, really lovely. It's coloured by uh, Adriano Lucas, and again we're seeing the you know the, the exceedingly soft nature of the reboot of Infinite Frontier. You know, so it's really drawn a line under the Rick Grayson years, but still overtly references what has gone before. There's one stage where just when you're talking about the the puppy, when the guy's beating up the puppy, and Nightwing comes in and and. Uh, <laughs> One of the guys pulls out a gun. <laughs> and Nightwing's like, I'm not letting you shoot a puppy in the head. In my experience, the next thing you know, the dog will have lost its memory and be driving a cab. <laughs> and with or without amnesia, a dog shouldn't be behind the wheel of a cab. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that that was just a nice wee nod to, you know, Batman 50 getting shot in the head and the whole Rick Grayson thing. Um, and again, it's nodded to whenever Barbara hands, hands Dick Alfred's will. Because if you remember... Dick was there for the reading of Alfred's will, but he was Rick Grayson at the time. He wasn't, he wasn't himself. Uh, so yeah, just you know, right from the start, it just feels like a to to coin a dance slot. Turn a phrase, a brand new day, doesn't it? You know, it's bright, it's light, um, it's very, it's very Nightwing. Um, it felt to me a wee bit like Matt Fraction's Hoggy. What do you reckon, Alan? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if I'd put it fully into that but it does have that sort of lightness of touch certainly well, let me qualify let me qualify we've got a dog on the scene nightwing owns a uh, an apartment building yeah you see you see where we're going here the end <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no i know what you're saying years, yeah i know what you're saying i mean this this book for me just encapsulates what i hope infinite frontier is going to be moving forward it's a brilliant jumping on point it's filled with color there's a lot of humor to it there is still darkness there's nods going right back to the very start of dick grayson with who the new mayor's going to be you know if you're a long-term nightwing fan and you see the name zuko you know there's bad stuff to follow it had brilliant pa- it, w- it was a book of great moments like see the first time i read it see that page turn of like these yuppies being like cops so you're in so much trouble my dad owns the police and then there's this wee <laughs> this wee image of Barbara going, you think they'll listen to you over me? What do you think? And then you turn the page and she's standing in front of Commissioner Gordon and she just goes, Dad. Uh, great moment, that. I thought the moment with... The, everything with the dog was just adorable but brilliantly done. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, of course, he's got a new uh, he's got a new sidekick, I would say, for the foreseeable. Uh, I love the fact that... 
I really enjoyed the new villain they were introducing, although, holy moly, that is the kingpin, uh, if you ask me. Uh, Blockbuster's not a new not a new villain. Has he been uh, in it before? Yeah, Blockbuster's a, a well, a fairly well-established... Just looks like uh, kingpin to me. Yeah, he's... <laughs> he's, a, he's he, uh, he has a formula that he takes that makes him big and strong, if I recall, and mm-hmm. he, was, he was very much part of the previous Nightwing run uh desmond isn't it um he's got two roland desmond he's got two first names as his whole name mm-hmm. um so yeah uh he has a there, yeah there's a whole backstory to him oh, but yeah okay. he yeah very much very much fulfills that kingpin role yeah and uh his connection in to dick you know that last scene um tony zuko is the man who set up the death of dick's parents uh cut the sabotage the high wire uh, in the circus, and she, uh, Melissa, Melinda, sorry, who is now the mayor of Bloodhaven, is Tony Zuko's daughter. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, at one point there, Desmond says, I've spoken to your father, he's a killer, but he's not a liar. I understand the two of you are strange, nonetheless, Tony spoke highly of you. So, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, and then the, the book obviously finishes off with that great exploration of the, you know, the Babs, Dick Grayson relationship as well as as Paddy says bringing over Alfred's will uh, just some great moments there with Nightwing mm-hmm. rushing head first and she's able to grab him and sort of throw him against the wall and there's always I mean, that I, playfulness I enjoyed the, those moments the moments on the fire escape as well where you know he's she's got his hand on, her, on his shoulder knowing how difficult this is going to be for him yeah to read this you know and uh, yeah so that I mean that's, that's just I'm looking forward to seeing a wee bit more of that relationship as well the wee tear that trickles down his cheek. Uh, whenever uh, Alfred writes, I'm so very proud to call you my son. Uh, it was just beautiful. So yeah, the whole thing uh, was just a great, just a great issue, wasn't it? Very much so. I mean, it's, you know, th- this is this is the Tom Taylor sweet spot. He can do funny. He can do emotional. He can tell a really good story. He's great with character work. And Bruno Redondo's been a long-time collaborator with his as well. So, you know, they know the style inside and out. But it, it's as you say, I mean, Dick Grayson has always the light of Batman's dark. You always get the feeling Dick Grayson loves being a superhero. You know, mm-hmm. and they, like he will jump, like that double-page spread is so brilliant because that's him at his happiest, jumping from one building to another. Sunset in the background, I love this stuff sort of thing. Whereas yeah. you always get the feeling with Bruce, he feels that that is his calling to do it. But he yes, doesn't necessarily yeah. enjoy it. So it's almost like a religious fervor, isn't it? It's, yeah, uh, yeah. And I, I love the scene as well in the flashback where Dick just goes in and starts washing the dishes, and uh, and uh, Alfred's like, "You do realize that's my job?" And he goes, "Sure." And you're gonna realize that I'm never gonna be good with that. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was that was class. <laughs> yeah, really. Seen somebody tweeted Tom Taylor as well, asking him, "Was he is he on this for long, or can he say?" And he said. No, I'm here for the long run. We we have some amazing stuff planned for issue 100. I'm brilliant. sure they have a hundred oh, variants planned for 100. Uh, I have absolutely no doubt. But yeah, I mean, the longer the better because yeah, Tom Taylor is he's always been very good. Injustice aside, he's always been very good at coming in and doing short runs. You know, Suicide Squad was only 11 issues. Um, Friendly Neighborhood Spider Man was only I think 16 off the top of my head. So you'd love to see him on a long-form title, so I am more than happy for him to be on Nightwing until issue 200, let alone 100. So, yeah. I got you there. Yeah, just a great, great book. Can't recommend it enough. And again, it is the perfect jumping-on point. 
like I, I handed this to Vicky. I, I read it in bed and I handed it to Vicky straight away. And she's like, I know nothing about Nightwing. I was like, Vicky, there's a dog in this. She's like, okay, I'll read it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she loved it. So she's going to be on it for the foreseeable as well. I, so uh, I uh, saw my mum this, this week and uh, Stephen was good enough to pick up my pull list in Belfast and drop it up to me whenever I was outside of Belfast. And uh, I was reading that. I was really enjoying it. And, and uh, my mum was like, who's Nightwing? And I was like, do you remember Robin? Do you remember Robin in, in, in the 60s Batman series? Um, and I'm, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I went, Dick Grayson, that's who, that's who Robin became. And my mum was like, all right. <laughs> well, as I learned from talking to your father last week, you're, uh, your dad's good people. He's a DC man. So uh, he's, he's good people. <laughs> so yeah, so that is all of our picks then for 17th of March. So uh, it was Superman Red and Blue number one for myself, Black Knight, Curse of the Ebony Blade number one for Keith, and Nightwing 78 for Paddy. So we'll just finish off the way we finish off every time, which is essentially looking forward to what titles are coming out this new comic book day. So uh, for me, it's a couple of titles from the big two that I'm really looking forward to. So we have the, the first issue of Detective Comics hitting uh, after Infinite Frontier. I've been looking forward to this for a long time simply because it's Dan Mora on art. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And Mariko Tamaki, I have to say, really impressed me with Dark Detective. So it's the same creative team that did Dark Detective. And then you've got backup stories, uh, again, by Joshua Williamson and Gleb Melnikov as they continue their Robin um, backup stories. We then also have Batman White Knight Presents, Harley Quinn number six. So, again, I've really enjoyed this. I again no matter what they say this is not a side story to white knight this is a sequel so if you enjoy the the murphy verse definitely jump on this it just it picks up two years after uh the end of curse of the white knight and if you've missed it in single issues i really recommend getting trade at the very least but this is the last issue of that and then the other one that really appeals to me this week is alien number one so this is by philip kennedy johnson of course he of last god he of you know taking over the superman universe at the moment and then they've got a top level artist on this as well with salvador la roca so this is uh this is going to be something really special i think so those are my three picks for this week what about yourself keith what are you looking forward to well you get in there quick with uh on alien there so you you swipe that from me i'll not yes. not not just i'm learning just from patty i'm learning from, from patty <laughs> <laughs> so uh an indie clean sweep for me uh miskatonic number five the final issue of that uh, lovecraft inspired series that i'm quite enjoying uh robert kirkman's day 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 is back with number 14 and we're going to see a knockdown drag out fight between uh well, as someone who probably deserves it, and Barack Obama, um, <laughs> and I see he's wearing uh, he's wearing some uh, some knuckle dusters and his uh, his America his American flag shorts in the front cover, and then lastly, Blade Runner Origins Two is coming out uh, this week, I believe, um, and I really enjoyed that first issue of that uh, of that Blade Runner's prequel uh, series. Uh, I think I said, Alan, you should probably I know you're a Blade Runner fan. You should probably probably jump on that if you can get your your first issue uh, together and get it read. Uh, so that's my three, Paddy. Yeah, and yourself, Paddy. Yeah, I went for for one of each. Maestro Warren Packs number three. Absolutely loving this. Even the first Maestro one, the first six issues, and the second story is just as well from DC Teen Titans Academy one. I think I'm hoping for a bit of a darker Strange Academy. I'm hoping yeah, I'm along the right lines with that one. And then for Indy, uh, of course, the ever popular Once in Future seventeen. 
And I am more than happy to confirm that every title we are all looking forward to is currently sitting to my left on the table because delivery arrived today and all those release dates have held. So uh, you won't have to have any disappointment this week when you pick up your pulls. So that is going to do it for us for this week. So uh, this is us back, as I say, on a weekly basis, keeping it trim, keeping it much more focused. Uh, So that's everything from 17th of March that we enjoyed. As always, any of those titles appeal to a majority of them should be on the website. Uh, we can certainly post them out to you. We should be looking at hopefully announcing in the next week or so about click and collect services that we'll be offering come the middle of April. So keep yes. an eye on the social medias for that. You can actually see what I've been doing with the store for the last 10 years, it feels like, but uh, <laughs> maybe not quite as long as that. But yeah, we'll, we'll definitely introduce some, uh, we'll let, definitely let you guys know some details about that in the coming week or so. Uh, keep it on the YouTube for uh, Tuesday as well. There'll be a new show out as well as a separate review of the Snyder Cut, which you know will finally satisfy hey. Patty's curiosity as well. So we will leave it there. Thank you as always, gentlemen, for your participation. Lovely seeing you. And you, and you, and uh, yeah, that was good. That was good fun, good fun, good comics. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's good to be back. And we'll let Keith go on and enjoy the rest of his holiday, you know. Thank you kindly, boys. Uh, <laughs> I, I do. Uh, I do have a, a notion of uh, of uh, rewatching Man of Steel and uh, BVS before I, uh, I dig into this mythical, legendary, no longer mythical, no uh, legendary uh, director's cut. Uh, so I look forward to uh, to that if, no. uh, if I have enough time this year. No longer <laughs> mythical, just reality. So, thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed this, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye bye.